So, hello and welcome to Drill to Detail, the podcast about the world of big data, analytics and data warehousing. I'm your host, Mark Whitman, and I'm very pleased to be joined by my first ever returning guest, none other than Stuart Bryson. So, Stuart, why don't you introduce yourself, just in case there's anybody out there who hasn't heard of you. Great. Thanks for having me back on, Mark. I'm honored to be both your first guest and your and your first returning guest. So uh, we have to think of the trifecta, what you can, uh, what I can be next. But uh, so my name is Stuart Bryson. I'm owner and co-founder of Red Pill Analytics. We're uh, an Oracle uh, data integration analytics company, also uh, playing a lot in the big data space, a lot of the cloud vendors. Um, you know, worked with you in a former life, and, and that was a great um, endeavor. And always, always happy to uh, to come on the podcast. Thanks, thanks so much for having me. Good, Stuart. Okay, it was great to have you back on again. So, um, so we we planned this talk for a while ago, actually, or from a while, and we'll be talking about doing something a roundup of um, of Oracle Open World. So, you and I were both there yep. recently as uh, as guests of the Oracle Ace Director Program, just to kind of be be upfront about that. But as usual, you know, there's never any kind of like um, you know, I suppose, kind of um, obligation to say anything good or bad or whatever, really. Um, so, thanks for obviously just the truth, right? Just the truth, exactly. But certainly for for me. Um, the, the, there was a session, there was a keynote in a session that was particularly kind of interesting and particularly a bit of a kind of flavor and a taste really of, um, I suppose, a lot of the kind of the products that will be affecting us and be useful to us and so on and are actually a bit of a kind of reboot really in a way of, uh, of Oracle's big data strategy and uh, I suppose the future of some of the tools there. Um, so it was the, uh, the Thomas Curriam uh, engineering keynote, the product keynote, which was one of the days, or was, I think Wednesday or Tuesday. Um, and particularly yep. in there, there was, uh, I don't know if you saw it, there was um, a, a demo and a, and a walkthrough that, uh, that Jeff Pollock did, who you and yep. I know from the, the days of, uh, of kind of data integration, ODI and so on. But it was a bit of a flat, it was a kind of walkthrough really of, um, of uh, I suppose, a complete kind of like application that was running in Oracle Cloud. Um, using kind of big data as a source, using some of the sort of tooling that was out there they're bringing along. Um, but I guess in a way, giving us a bit of a flavor, really, of, of I suppose what Oracle see as their market, um, what they're doing with the products, and potentially um, some of the sort of differentiation, really, between what Oracle are doing and, say, sort of, uh, you know, AWS and, and Microsoft and, and so on. Um, so, I mean, Stuart, did you see that session for a start? I mean, was it one you saw? Absolutely. Yeah, I attended. It was... It was uh... a... <laughs> It felt very Apple-like, didn't it? Um, with the with sort of the main speaker introducing yeah. the, the the demo guests and all of that, uh, it it's it's felt familiar. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Thomas Curian. I mean, he's uh, the, 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 I suppose in a way the kind of the, the command of detail he's got and the strategy and so on is, is is kind of really interesting. So I always kind of look forward to to Thomas's sessions, but seeing. Someone we know, Jeff Pollock, talking about kind of you know what yep. was Dataflow ML and so on. It was very interesting. So what what I'm going to do is is um, and Stuart, you and I organised this before. Um, the actual video, uh, the actual kind of keynote video for Thomas Curian's session and particularly uh, Jeff Pollock's one, I posted it on my blog as an embedded video um, a little while ago. So I'm going to put the the URL for that on uh, on on my on the show notes. And there's also, yep. obviously, you can go to the Oracle site and there's, there's on there as well. What I'd like to do, though, is, is to kind of go through a few parts of that with you um, and, and just talk through, I suppose, what was talked about, what was, I suppose, the message behind it, what was the implication, and, and just kind of walk through some of the things that they talked about yeah. and, and so on. So should be fun. It should be fun. It will be fun, actually. Yeah, I think it will be. So um, so first of all, if we think about that, the opening of, of, of Jeff's um, opening of Jeff's kind of uh, demo. So first of all, Thomas Curium. Came on, came on with uh, a a kind of like a, a business application, like a sort of an application that was about uh, sensor readings and trying to uh, you know work out which which kind of devices were going to go wrong and and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's HVAC units. Right? HVAC units, which is an American thing, as nothing. What, what are HVAC <laughs> units? Uh, heating. Oh, now you've got me on the you got me on the spot. Air but basically, it's your yeah heating something air conditioning so it's the it's the heating and air conditioning units so, so central heat and air so obviously it was a very kind of like you know quite glamorous kind of uh, a quite glamorous uh, topic to course. pick up on and so on <laughs> so just to kind of summarize that then so let's he he basically came on he had a kind of a, a web-based demo where it was looking for anomalies and kind of sense uh, and predicting i suppose sensors that and hvac units that were going to go wrong um, and it was basically it was talking about is running on Oracle Cloud and using um, using Oracle uh, Big Data as the kind of back end, really. Okay, right. So, 
what did you think of that then? What was your what was your thoughts about? I suppose the market. What was the the messaging that was there? The market they're aiming for. Because Oracle aren't the first to do this, really. What was your thoughts really about about the the, the way they positioned big data and uh, the uses of it in the market and so on? Yeah, so I, I've seen that application before. So that was the application. I don't know if they built it for this purpose, but when they first rolled out their IoT solution, which is uh, pre you know you know pre pre cloud uh, or their first take at the cloud, right? So they had the uh, full IoT application. So I had seen it before. Uh, it's interesting to see that they had plugged it into their new offering, which is which is good. Um, you know, who are they targeting? It's 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 interesting that that they're going after application developers is what it looks like to me with the with the, with the idea that you can build an entire application um, in the Oracle cloud starting from how is it exposed who views it uh, the entire sort of DevOps process was also covered in that uh, in uh, Thomas's keynote and with the back-end data sets and and that's where you know I think you're common or average developer doesn't know what to do. They don't know what to do with the data assets afterwards. And so I think it's interesting to go after, you know, it might be a startup, it might be uh, a big Fortune 100 customer who's who's looking at building a new application, um, perhaps with a mobile uh, element to it. And the idea that you have an entire platform um, with even the downstream data, I think I, I think they're going after to uh, not to be, you know, not to go out on a limb or anything, but everyone. I mean, they're going after small companies, big companies. I think it's a it's an entire platform, and that's the pitch. It's interesting. I mean, I think particularly it was interesting that he opened. Um, so Jeff Pollock opened with, and Thomas in that section as well, opened with a very kind of this is a very uh, business like, a very kind of uh, practical use of the technology. It was t- clearly, I think, it was aimed at not the developers but the developers' bosses. You think about who would be in that in that keynote, and it was a very kind of straight, very kind of uh, uh, you know. Um, that, you know, the purpose of that demo was was not glamorous, really, was it? I mean, it was obviously IoT and so on and so forth, but it was squarely aimed as being, you know, this is serious. This is kind of, you know, this is Oracle applying its kind of, I suppose, industry knowledge and, and so on there. And certainly, I mean, I think the whole thing with, with and we'll talk about it later on, Oracle's, um, I suppose, kind of reboot or, or, or kind of move into, say, big data as a service. You know, how are they going to differentiate that and how are they going to com- compete for developers, as you said, you know, with AWS and so on? I think certainly aiming at their bosses is an interesting kind of thing, really. And it was... Oh, no, I 100% agree. I mean, if you were to see something comparable uh, from reInvent or, or an AWS mm. uh, uh, presentation, they would be going after the developers. I think they would be showing APIs. They would be showing... And we saw a little bit of that, and you're probably going to get into mm. it, but we saw a little bit of that uh, with uh, in Jeff's talk or Jeff's presentation mm. with, the, with a custom... Scala uh, application, mm. right? Just enough code to to tease us. Mm. But if that were AWS, it would be about APIs. It would be about, um, you know, it would be talking about the guts and how how you actually build the thing. So I think it's very interesting because AWS is sort of grassroots. I think mm. I think no one's well, I won't say no one, but. AWS doesn't try to sell to their bosses. They try to sell to the developers because it's so easy to onboard and get started with. Whereas Oracle's just so used to selling to the developers' bosses that I'm not sure they really know another way. Uh, or maybe they haven't yet um, you know, really figured out how to cross that, that bridge if they even want to. Or, or particularly maybe because that's the angle Oracle has, you know, I mean, certainly, certainly, um, and we'll get into this later on, but certainly, I suppose the the kind of um, the the additional uh, Oracle have got the uh, the attention and they are, you know, they're basically embedded in lots of big companies, lots of big investment and so on. There. Exactly. The one angle they've got that say AWS and so on have, haven't got is the kind of the footprint of the applications and the industry knowledge and so on there. So certainly just to not to label this point too much, but I, I got a distinct message from that first part, the bit where it's introduced with a very kind of business-like, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, way of putting it and use and so on it was aiming at people's bosses and and like you say and maybe kind of like adf developers and so on who are used to building applications but let, let's kind of go so clip number two okay um this the bit here so in clip number two was very interesting because um this is where um jeff gets into using kind of oracle public cloud so he logs in and the whole question there really i think about i suppose how many developers have access to it and how easy is it to get access and trials with oracle public cloud 
But he goes through provisions, or certainly points to where there's some kind of provisioned uh, instances that are there. And then interestingly, very clearly talks about Kafka and talks about kind of open source components that are then kind of uh, overlaid with Oracle tools and, and so on there. And I thought that was very interesting that um, Oracle are now kind of, you know, I wouldn't say embracing, but certainly making use now of open source products and, you know, naming them um, and, and so on. I mean, what, what's your take on, on that, really, Stuart? Well, so um, it's it's no surprise to you, Mark, that, that you know, me and my company, we do a lot with Kafka. And uh, we're also Confluent partners, so we think a lot of this product. So if you were to look and say differentiate, you know, we've done a lot with Kinesis and AWS, which is a, a competitor. Um, it, you know, Kafka is full, full-fledged, full uh, built out, and, and very – it's very stable and it's very uh, feature rich. So the fact that they went with Kafka was was exciting. Mm. I think if you look at say you know AWS, they don't have you know, so so their their data pipeline tools you know is one of the first ones and it's and it's aged mm. and it's not really what you expect. It's not Spark streaming like. Mm. Um, and then when you look at say the Google Cloud with Dataflow, which is very powerful, they don't have you know their pub sub product is is not Kafka-like. It's 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 more like a messaging queue. So, mm. I think that when we, you know, one of the one of the real, um, you know, approaches that we take now is is to invest in in Kafka as a as an uh, ingestion engine where you can really just ingest data and not worry about what you're going to do with it yet. And I don't think any of the sort of cloud vendors have that that type of of product or style. Mm. I think the and, and, and Confluent brings a lot of great features that Oracle is obviously trying to write uh, counterparts mm. to. The fact that Oracle's using their own REST APIs, I'm assuming, um, is to sort of capture the schema uh, uh, of, what you're, of what you're ingesting there so that it can plug in to the other elements of their cloud. So once again, you know, Oracle sort of... Uh, locking us in a certain uh, to a certain degree, right? So they've 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 gone after these open source products, and that's mm. great, and they've got great capabilities. But everyone's going to use their APIs, and so it's an Oracle uh, produced Kafka. I'm not saying that's bad, mm. but it certainly is. Uh, you know that their APIs on on top of you know K- Kafka has REST APIs, so yeah. I'm not quite sure why Oracle needs to put their own REST APIs unless they're trying to capture schema and make it easier to plug all this stuff together, which is what we see in Jeff's yeah. uh, presentation is how easy it is to connect these things, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I would probably in a way give the benefit of the doubt on this bit. I mean, certainly the fact it's based on Kafka as opposed to something else that's been built in house or, or whatever. Um, exactly. is, is a kind of tick in the box, which is good. Although, you know, presumably uh, Amazon with Kinesis or, or, or Google with, you know, PubSub believe theirs is kind of better for different reasons and so on. So I guess also probably the layering of, of, of kind of Oracle services over it is a number, for a number of reasons. One is obviously um, they want to make it available as a service within Oracle Public Cloud, and we'll cover that in a second. Yep. One is, like you say, to make it easier to integrate and so on there. But also there's an element there of, of kind of making it slightly, slightly harder to kind of go somewhere else and, and so on. I think on that, I'd kind of give the benefit the doubt there's probably technical reasons and there's kind of that maybe is driving it i don't know but certainly i want i 100 agree that mm. that i don't think i don't think their purpose was lock in yeah i just think it's going to be a side effect and and i think that you know if you go use uh, kinesis for instance you're locked mm. in because no one else has kinesis and if you go use PubSub and google mm. you're locked in so I mean, we can't really accuse them of doing anything that the other cloud vendors aren't doing, right? No, exactly. So they're taking they're taking an open source product instead of building uh, from scratch, and a very good one, I might add. They're going to put their own wrapping around it because you know half of or three fourths of what you do in the cloud is provisioning and making yeah. things easy. So I, you know, I don't fault them for it. It's just that the yeah. excitement around Kafka is kind of tempered a bit. With the fact that it's going to be Oracle Kafka, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, so so, and then the next bit is is kind of interesting. So he then gets on to talk about um, the fact it's elastic. So um, and that for me was was the biggest kind of difference here. So obviously, if you look at 
what Oracle was selling as, as Big Data Cloud Service up until now. It was effectively a, B, a BDA, which you um, would pay for out of OPEX rather than CAPEX. You'd rent it. Um, they'd host it for you in, in a data center, but you were yeah. buying a BDA. And clearly that was, was ridiculous because, you you know, your, your minimum cost to start up was, was you know, tens of thousands of dollars. And it was something, but, but again, looking at you know, how products are launched and, and so on, it was something that they could do immediately, presumably. And the long-term direction was services. And... And, and, and having worked with services recently, you know, on, on the Google side, you can see the benefit of that. I mean, just before we go further, you know, what's your view on, I guess, moving Hadoop and big data development or just development in general, maybe Snowflake and so on, you know, into, uh, into services running on Elastic Cloud? What's your thoughts on that? Well, so I can I can take the sort of the slant first from a small company that's mm. that's building that's building pipelines for their own data. Mm. And it's it's. Incredible. I mean, you think about what a company would have to do to invest in BI or analytics for themselves, mm-hmm. a small company, just 10 years ago. It's almost impossible. Um, and so I think the idea that we can, you know, provision a service with an API, um, most of our, uh, you know, data sources are also REST API based. So the fact that you can, you know, with a little bit of glue and, and some and roll up your sleeves with a little glue, you can go and, and write these pipelines. I think that everything I just said, though, is applicable for big companies, especially when you're looking at money coming from departments now. Mm. And, depart- and departments are, have their own technical resources now, and they roll your own sort of at the department level. So I think that, you know, it's it, it does um, abstract away one of the hardest things about getting into the big data space or, or uh, role, you know, sort of getting started with a big data project is – just so many pieces. I mean, hmm. you know, big vendors aren't used to, you know, a thousand servers, right, or even a hundred servers for hmm. for one for one data asset. They're used to one. So I think the idea that we don't have to manage that, um, and it's not important at the end of the day. Um, no. I think on our on our last podcast, Mark, hmm. we, we discussed that. You gave the example of the space program, and and that there was so much ans- ancillary technology hmm. that came out of that hmm. space program. You made the analogy to to Hadoop that hmm. so many there's so much great hmm. technology has come out of, uh, out of the Hadoop ecosystem. Hmm. And at the end of the day, the the ironic thing is that the the Hadoop side of this is the easiest to sort of abstract away. Hmm. These tools, these data pipelines, and data streaming, and all of that is incredibly exciting with what you can do with data now and when you make a cloud application hopefully it will you know uh, hold up to to the hype but when you build a cloud application where ingesting data and processing mm. data is really easy um and, and and it's sort of model as you go in each of these elements mm. it's really exciting and i think they're they're headed in the right direction yeah i mean i i think it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I think as technologists, I know you and I, one of the first things we always do is, is we think, say it's a new, a new product area or a new whatever, we tend to try and install it first because of, of, often installing it and seeing how the services work and seeing how the components fit together, that's kind of how we learn things. And, and I think that that then leads on to that's how we then take development. So I know certainly you and I, we've spent a lot of time talking about kind of you know, schema on read and we've talked about Hive and Impala and all the different kind of technologies there and so on. And um, and, and so naturally, you, that's the way you think things go. Um, but certainly something I, I, I noticed myself personally doing work, you know, at home doing a sabbatical and so on was running a Hadoop cluster reliably and particularly ingesting data reliably and, and provisioning it and, and scaling it is is kind of hard. And that only yeah. gets, that only gets in the same way, the analogy I made, I did a tweet or a blog post uh, yesterday about this. I used to run a mail server at home and, and you know, it was fun. You know, the fact I was running a mail server and so on, but half my mail never got through because the, the kind of the server was down <laughs> or I was blacklisted or, or whatever. And, and, you know, beyond a certain You should have got Hillary's, you should have got <laughs> yes. Hillary's uh, admin, right? Exactly. Apparently all exactly. mail went through there. Exactly. So, so beyond a certain point though, you start to think to yourself, is this really a good use of my time? You know, given that probably, you know, you, you could be learning so much more. And again, looking at running a Hadoop cluster at home, you have to say to yourself, I mean, obviously it is completely ridiculous to do that in the first place, but, but then you think, well, actually I should be, I should be, you know, we should be doing things to build on that, not to be just constantly fiddling. And I think something that's interesting is having seen, 
a few systems recently where you know it's big data scaled up to you know, petabyte scales uh, petabyte levels you, you actually can't do that anymore it, be, it becomes something where realistically you cannot manage um, a, a kind of an on-premise big data system at volume you know with the size we get to now and that's why these services come in and I think that for me that was the kind of the, when the penny dropped really seeing that large systems do that and, and I think that, you know, certainly working with – you can see why Oracle are doing this. You know, you can see why they're delivering it as services. That's what we need. That's the building blocks you want to go on. And then you actually add value with what you build on it in, in, on the top. It's not – customers don't buy, um, you know, intricate Hadoop administration. They buy the, 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 what they're trying to do with it, really. So I think it's, yeah, it's kind I mean, of interesting, isn't it? Sorry, I, I absolutely agree. I'm, I'm going to use an analogy with uh, with the Oracle Business Intelligence mm. when uh, when they first went to the cloud, and a lot of people asked me, obviously, well, what do you think about that? Do you think are you concerned about the loss of business? Are you concerned about Oracle making this too easy? And I said, you know, and I've said this before. Mm. I may have even said it uh, publicly on on podcasts or things, but I didn't get into BI because I wanted to build WebLogic clusters, right? I didn't get into BI because mm. I wanted to to integrate LDAP, right? So. I'm excited about um, some of the the plumbing becoming easier and actually doing things like mm. data pipelines, mm. about handling data, about moving data, about mm. finding innovative ways to to and cheaper ways to uh, you know analyze, onboard, and move mm. new data sets. And I think that that you know the on premises, whether it's a big monolithic application or whether it's a dupe cluster or anything mm. in between, I think the idea of going in and, and, and editing config files and figuring out why something's not talking to something else, although interesting, and we've always mm. found that sort of thing interesting, mm. but mm. it's not good for the customer necessarily. Well, I think it was and a necessary so I, evil, wasn't it, at the start? But, but I absolutely. think certainly let's move beyond that, really. And, and, and I think one thing I've also noticed is, you know, when you get to the kind of scale that people go to now, again, a customer I'm, I'm aware of now and, and, and seeing their system and so on, you, you know, you, you, you need that, the, the, the elasticity comes into it as well because some of the volumes you see and the changes, I guess, in, in, in kind of volume over kind of seasonality and so on, what you need is something where you build it and it just scales up. I mean, I think this business of, you know, it, you, you having to kind of re-architect it, for example, because you've gone from sort of a certain level of transactions to another, it, it's interesting, really. And I think that, in a way, there's a kind of, you know, the famous Kerry Millsap quote about, about performance and so on being a solved problem. I think, in a way, infrastructure for big data analytics should be a solved problem. The thing then is about getting value. And, and this is where it gets interesting, I think, as, for consultants and people working in this area, because it, it gets back to that thing again, you can't just be, you don't, as a consultant, you're not there to... Um, to, to be an expert in infrastructure, you actually need to understand analytics, the value in it, and so on, really. And that's kind of been interesting as well. You can't hide behind technical knowledge anymore. You've got to be out there and, and actually kind of delivering a solution, really. Can I jump back to the Kafka point for just a minute and make yeah. a, a, comp, a comparable point? So mm. so, so Kafka's not easy to manage. Yeah. I mean, you just look at, at, at Kafka... Uh, you know, from a from the the cluster perspective and how to build uh, all the different consumers and producers and the consumer groups, it's very very complicated. And then when you start building, um, you know, uh, actually topics and trying to figure out how to make them durable, there's a lot of fidgeting that mm. you have to do underneath the scenes. Mm. And so one of the things that Confluent has done is try to enable you to do more with that Kafka cluster, knowing. That, that having customers go and build a bunch of clusters of different types, maybe it's your Spark cluster, your Kafka cluster, et cetera. So that's why they've introduced Kafka streams. That's mm. why they've introduced interactive queries is because they know that building a cluster, any cluster, is mm. a difficult thing. The interesting thing in the cloud, however, is that you, know, where you can have Spark clusters and you can have Hadoop clusters. And the idea of saying, well, I would really like to write that in Spark, but I don't want to have to invest in another cluster. I don't yet have a Spark cluster running, and if and, and Spark might be the perfect language or solution for me to go do something in, but I don't want to have to manage mm. another cluster. I've already got a Hadoop cluster. I've already got a Kafka cluster. Mm. The last thing I want is a Spark cluster. When you go to the cloud, you can choose what you want. I mean, if, if, if the Oracle cloud is making Spark uh, uh, processing, uh, you know, is something that you can provision with a few clicks 
and it already plugs into to Event Hub, which is their Kafka solution. It already plugs into, mm. you know, their Hadoop their Hadoop solution. You can choose the right solution. A lot of times we get pigeonholed mm. because we don't want to invest in more, you know, infrastructure. And mm. so that's what's exciting about watching um, Thomas's uh, presentation. Jeff Jeff's yeah. part of that particularly is that if this you know if this proves out. It will be very easy for me to choose to use Kafka and then choose to use Spark and then choose to use Hadoop without really thinking about all of the infrastructure that would go into that if I yeah. were to try to roll that out on premises. Yeah, interesting. I mean, so we'll get later on when we come to the end of this, I'd like to kind of talk to you about you know where we think this will succeed for Oracle. You know, do you, what kind of impact it will have? But let, let's get on to that. So the fourth part of this that I thought was interesting. Um, was uh, very kind of topical and relevant in terms of us as, as ex-data warehousing people and, and data modelers and so on. There was a section when, when Jeff then talked about um, bringing in kind of data sources and, and targets and so on. And two things I thought were interesting in, in that uh, clip. So first of all, he, he brought in data sources that were um, like industry models effectively. So he was saying, you know, here's, um, here's a data source, here's a, here's a kind of a, a schema, a data source design that is based on some some kind of manufacturing um, apps we've got or manufacturing in knowledge we've got. And then there's a bit there where he auto kind of generated um, some data warehouse um, dimensions and facts and so on there. So there's two parts that are interesting. First of all, what's your thoughts on, uh, on I guess, I suppose Oracle's angle on this, you know, do, you, do we think that having these industry models and having this kind of, I suppose, industry knowledge will be enough of a dif- differentiator? And what do you think about the idea of, of when you saw it in the video, auto-generating kind of data warehouse schemas and so on, you know, is this the is this the holy grail of point and click? It's done and and you know and so on. I mean, absolutely. We've been investigating a lot of uh, other tools, both BI tools and data integration tools, mostly cloud-based, and over the last year, and they all do that to some degree, right? They all have algorithms, and and and, and most of them are probably based on machine learning of some kind or another, where they're trying to to sort of um, figure out. Um, you know, figure out nuances, figure out connections, figure out um, how things plug together for you. And I do think it's the holy grail, but but like the holy grail, you know, it may be really hard to find. Uh, I mean, it may not prove out. The proof will be in the pudding, to use, a, I think, a, a British yeah. expression. But but I think that you sh- everything that we build today should be looking to use to reuse as much of the data that we have. Mm. It's interesting that, you know, we've spent so much time, and I know you have and I have in, in years past, with ETL tools where, you know, every single bit of, of context has to be added by you. Mm. And I think the, the idea that we're not reinventing the wheel most of the time, I mean, the, the 90% of what we're doing in an ETL, I won't say that, I'll say there's a good portion of what we're doing in an ETL mapping is hmm. just rote sort of look up in the look up in the document and see, you know, what how these two things hmm. connect. And I think that machines are much better at figuring that out than we hmm. are. Uh, so, absolutely, uh, if we see um, the one thing I you saw the the data source was called Cube. Right. Is that something? Is that something he named, or is there some <laughs> data source somewhere? That's called the cube. I, 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 I could, I could, I couldn't get my head around that. I don't know. I mean, I know the cube is, is certainly a, a, a show that some of them go on. So maybe it's that. I don't know. I mean, it, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know on that really. It's quite funny. I mean, you and I have done demos, and, and some of some of our demos sometimes perhaps do not kind of like um, stand up to very close scrutiny sometimes. Um, so there could be things yeah, exactly. in there that. But I, I thought that was interesting. I think that was an angle that. Again, going back to what could potentially be differentiators for Oracle, you know, and we'll go into this in, in a bit when we talk about cloud um, or, or certainly Dataflow ML. That experience they've got with with kind of I suppose industry uh, models and sources, the the kind of I suppose the kind of the footprint they've got in those industries and knowledge there, and the data warehousing experience as well. I mean, I think certainly having used them, I mean, I've been using Google BigQuery and, and uh, Cloud Dataflow and so on a lot recently for some work I'm I'm looking at. Um, and, and you can tell it's built by engineers. It's not built by data warehouse people. So that could yeah. be an angle for Oracle as well. And is, Yeah, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, uh, let, me, let me hear what you think mm. because, uh, I mean, there's pros to, to having, you know, a lot of robust and expressive APIs that you can do a lot with. And then there's a certain sort of 
uh, you know, learning curve or mm. sort of table stakes, as I think you sometimes mm. call it. Mm. There's table stakes for for stepping up to the table, and I think that there's a lot of customers that I've dealt with in the past with mm. big BI teams mm. that don't have anyone on their team that could even approach some of these things, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think certainly if I was looking at say Google's um, cloud, for example, I think. They might benefit commercially by making it slightly easier for a, a kind of on-premise data warehouse developer to uptake this technology. I mean, some of it is pretty obscure, and particularly for Google with you know cloud uh, cloud data flow, it's pretty kind of yep. bare, bare bones, really. Um, how much we want to just repeat the kind of the ways we did things in the past is is, is a question there, really. Um, uh, you know, I, I think it's. I guess there's probably different use cases and so on there, and there is this kind of whole angle, I suppose, as well of you know putting it into the cloud, consumerizing it and so on. I mean, within the context of development, it's obviously not consumerizing it for your mum or something, but certainly making it easier and using kind of, um, I suppose, you know, machine learning and, and classification and so on to make things faster make sense, really. And, um, yeah, I mean, that, that, do you, that, yeah. Do you think we will see um, <laughs> GUI, GUIs, uh, you know, for, for some of these things? I mean, it's the next logical step, but you, you might imagine someone like Google with Dataflow saying, no, 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 no we're not going to do that because this is for engineers. I think if, if, if Oracle, and I don't know if they're going to do that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they might very well roll out, um, you, you know, usable GUIs to, to connect some of these dots. Yeah. But, you know, AWS has been in this business for a long time, and, mm. and it's still almost 100% API driven. Yes. If 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 Oracle could step up and build the APIs, I'd, I'm not saying they shouldn't be APIs because mm-hmm. I should be able to code against them if I mm-hmm. want to code against them. But at the same time, there should be, you know, if the, if the promise of, of, you know, some of these things hooking, hooking together the way Jeff showed them and auto-generating mm-hmm. certain aspects, if you could eliminate, you know, 60% of the coding that has to occur, 70% of the coding where you're just coding on the penumbra where you're you, you know where you're tweaking and, and not so much sitting sitting staring at a blank page trying to write some code i think that could really differentiate them because i don't think the other cloud vim, vendors uh, you know uh, save maybe azure is really thinking about those things yeah i mean i i guess also you know again oracle are looking to take their customers from where they are to, to this as well so there's probably an element there of, of of kind of i suppose gui stuff might be more relevant for them because of the kind of the almost going back to the owb kind of forms background and so on let's move on because i'm conscious of time um so so the, the next bit the, the the fifth part i was interested in here and was data pipelines and and we've covered this a bit quite a lot already actually so far in talking about kinesis and and cloud data flow and so on but Stuart as an ETL developer um you know first of all just for the audience just explain what a data pipeline is as a data flow pipeline is as opposed to the stuff you've done in the past um in terms of what's the difference and what does it mean as a developer really what can they expect from this in the future yeah I mean when you've done and you know the the folks at Kafka usually uh, explain this pretty well when they're talking about uh, Kafka streams, for instance. But you know when you're an ETL developer in the past, you've dealt mostly with data stores, and you think in terms of taking data from a data store, maybe transforming it and joining it with other data stores and putting it into another data store. And I think from a, from a, from a code pipeline or, or excuse me, data pipeline perspective. I think you, you sort of lose that. Uh, the first thing that goes is that idea that that a source and a target or a store of some kind. It's really just dealing with data in motion. It's dealing with data being streamed. Now, you might um, manifest uh, data sets in pseudo stores, uh, usually called windows or some kind, where but they're usually exposed via APIs. So instead of taking the data at the end of your ETL process and necessarily loading it somewhere, uh, a data pipeline probably exposes that data set at the mm. end, but not manifest necessarily. Mm. So when you go to write, say, a data pipeline, you're, you're, you're dealing with data in motion, mm. usually at each step of the process. Mm. Of course, well, I won't say of course, but usually you're going to persist it in the end, but perhaps just exposing it to an application mm. uh, with all of the, the calculations done, you don't necessarily need to load it if that uh, application can consume, usually by a REST or by some sort of an API, mm. consume that that data in motion. So I think 
that's the biggest difference is, is not thinking about data as stores mm. necessarily, but thinking of it as streams, really. Yeah, and, and the sorry, the last the last episode of the podcast that I recorded was with Streamsets, and, and certainly for them, um, the whole concept of data in motion is core to what they do, really. And there are certain things you do differently because of that. Um, there are certain ways you architect tools differently, and so on. There, and and you know, as a developer, you think differently as well. I think certainly, you know, it's it's the kind of the it's the norm within what we're doing now, and big data, and so on. And it's you know, it was interesting to see it in there within, within the offering as well. And then getting on to the next part, which was the I suppose for me that the, the kind of the the centerpiece of the demo, which was Dataflow ML, which was for anybody exactly. who's not heard about this, it's it's Oracle's reimagining, I guess, of data integration um, within the cloud with kind of Spark underneath it and and big data and so on there. So Stuart, just again, just from what you've seen, I know it's very it's not out yet, and some of it's under NDA and so on. Just explain what Dataflow ML is, okay, and maybe kind of paint a picture really what it looks like for as a developer and so on. Certainly. I mean, unlike some of the other platforms we've been, dis- been discussing, like Google um, uh, data flows and, and AWS uh, data pipelines, um, Oracle's product is does have, you know, a GUI representation, which I, you know, uh, from all the demos I've seen, um, you know, looks pretty reasonable. Hmm. Now, just like, uh, you know, at any point in that GUI representation, you can click and you can customize and you can customize with code. But the idea is really that this is going to be a streaming solution using Spark and Spark ML specifically, uh, machine learning, uh, to be able to build, um, I won't say ETL, but data pipelines but also with recommendation underneath it. So that's where the ML side of it or the machine learning comes in is that you don't have to, to touch every single piece of your, of your data pipeline. It's going to make recommendations. It's seen that this data set uh, roughly maps to, uh, and has some connection to this other data set or this mm-hmm. other data flow that you've expressed. Uh, and it's going to make some recommendations around, you know, how to how to hopefully, uh, you know, accept these recommendations as new stages in your job. And it could, you know, as you said, the holy grail a little bit earlier, it could handle some of the, you know, the nuance that that doesn't really need a human being clicking and dragging. It just simply needs a human being accepting. And I think that that could be what's really, really different. I think the combination of the machine learning built in with mm-hmm. the recommendations, the GUI uh, capabilities, right? So we don't necessarily sort of, uh, uh, you know, turn away a certain uh, section of the audience immediately. If if they pull all these things together, you know, uh, expressive APIs, a GUI element, plus uh, recommendations around data processing – it could be, you know, perhaps the best product on the market. Um, yeah. it, it certainly looks like it could be. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think certainly, I, I guess, knowing the people behind it and knowing the development team behind it, I think this is the part of the whole demonstration and the whole kind of like proposition that certainly for me, I had most confidence in and, and also thought could be a differentiator. I think that the knowledge and experience and I guess for us, the familiarity is, is important as well uh, in, in how it looks, people behind it and so on is, is interesting there. Um, certainly what the well, questions I would have is to how, I suppose, in a way, what will the scope of this be? So will, uh, for example, Dataflow ML cover things like data quality? You know, will it cover things like, um, all, you know, think about the whole kind of, the whole product stack you get in, say, Oracle Data Integration, OD, uh, EDQ and so on. Is that part of it or is this kind of out of scope? And I suppose also, um, what about kind of the fact that they also announced, I think there was a cloud version of ODI as well that was mentioned. Um, in, yeah, in exactly. What was your thoughts on that? I mean, that strikes me as slightly kind of just, uh, I don't know. First of all, what do you think about the announcement about ODI in the cloud? What was your thoughts on that? I mean, I think these are these are two, well, we know that they're two different elephants or two, <laughs> that's a terrible analogy, two completely different animals is what I meant to say. Um, in that, you know, ODI as a service is going to be sort of traditional ETL um, in the cloud. So still that mindset of thinking about sources and targets as stores, right? And not necessarily trying to handle the whole streaming crowd. Although we know that ODI is going to have some, at least on premises, is going to have some robust data streaming capabilities coming, you know, very, very soon. Will that stuff port immediately to the cloud? 
to the ODIs in, a, in the cloud solution, then it does there does produce some overlap that's a bit confusing. Yeah, I, yeah. I think. I, Go ahead, Mark. I, th- I think I put my view on ODI in the cloud is very tactical. It's it's for the instances where clearly it's not a big data kind of problem that's being solved. It's something yes. where you know they just want to be able to host it in there. It's probably running it within a sort of Java cloud service kind of instance and so on. I think it's something that is 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 kind of there tactically. I can't believe they're going to invest much in it really. But then again, not everything is a big data problem really. And, and yeah, I mean, um, yeah. not everything's about not everything's about analytics, right? No, I mean, we exactly. tend to focus on we tend to focus on you know analytics and what big data has done for analytics. It's it's really commoditized data in such a way that everybody can take a data set and do something with it. ODI is about still integrating it's mm. uh and and, I, and my take on odi in the cloud is still more about the data integration side of it um delivering yeah. data stores for applications that may happen to be in the cloud um you might do data warehousing in the cloud that way if you're you know but i think that when i think that 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 we're starting to draw a line now where, you know, the whole relational world that we're used to and all of the sort of tooling that goes with it, data integrator sort of uh, applies there. Is so, so, you're, you're sort of starting to draw the line at analytics and saying, you know, maybe I maybe I shouldn't do analytics that way anymore. Maybe I should maybe I should bring that down and do that in the big data space yeah. or the big data world. But if I just need to integrate data for an application that mm-hmm. I'm building in the cloud, I think ODI is going to be applicable there. And you wouldn't want to go do that in, in data flow ML. I mean, that's not really, you know, because you're not trying to deal with data. You're just trying to integrate data. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so just I, I guess now to finish off that that kind of that, that clip and that video, there was a bit at the end that game was interesting, which was um, that there was a there was a demonstration of of uh, big data discovery in there, and and it was. It was again looking at the kind of the output of the data flow, and it was saying there's a bunch of kind of attributes and values and so on there. But what was interesting in, in that demonstration was um, the focus on um, machine learning and automated predictive modeling and so on. So, you know, Stuart, you, you know, you've seen big data discovery. One of the things that it lacked and was probably kind of marketed as at the start, maybe slightly kind of wrongly or whatever, was you know, it, yeah. it, it kind of um, it lessened the need for a data scientist. Well, it didn't do that at all, obviously. And there was things in the latest release that was, um, you know, there was the kind of the um, the shell that you could run sort of uh, PySpark in. But it was interesting yep. to see um, a demo there where they where they kind of um, he focused on an attribute and he built the model out there to sort of to, to be able to, you know the idea was to say um, press click on this and it build a model which is the most predictive thing and so on. So my point on that to you, Stuart, is you know is this the answer to getting the citizen data scientist? Is it kind of um, a novelty? You know, what did you take on that on that last section really? This is where faith really had to kick in for me, Mark, because mm. that's the side of this that is the most difficult to solve in my mind. And I think it what you look at at the end of this process and what we saw in, in uh, data discovery was, in my mind, uh, the part that I don't necessarily have faith that it's going to that, that the product is going to be that good, uh, especially on day one. I mean, that's really hard to uh, identify all of those data points. It's really hard to expose them in such mm. a way that it's that it's almost uh, you know dummy proof. I think that not to say that what what was ex- presented there at the end shouldn't be the target state. It should be. That's you know what mm. what they were showing and demoing there was mm. brilliant and and that's what I think when we think about you know how analytics today is different than it used to be. It's it's that those sorts of data sets that is what is the promise of yeah. these new frameworks. Yeah. I'm just that's where I think my faith ran out a bit and and I'm going to have to experience it and see it. Uh, to, to believe it because that is a lot of work usually it's interesting i think i think certainly where we are with um kind of i suppose uh, predictive analytics and, and data science and so on which is that only a very small amount of people can do it and it's very complicated and it's kind of you know from the command line all this kind of stuff clearly that yeah clearly it would be better if it was more accessible and i think that um and so probably the answer to how to do that is to um yeah, automate it and give helpers and so on. I think that it was. I mean, I, I saw some kind of demos of of that um, of that feature kind of before the actual kind of keynote. And the thinking behind it is is to try and kind of find ways to, I suppose, 
bring data science and predictive analytics and so on to people who don't necessarily have the kind of the R skills and so on. Um, but it's hard to do. And I think that you know, a lot of it is presenting um, potential options to you. you know, these are potential kind of predictive models and, and so on. And then you pick between them. I mean, it's a, I think it's an unsolved problem. And I think it was good to see that in big data discovery, that they were taking it further. And it wasn't just kind of you know, putting a shell there and so on. Um, but I'm not necessarily sure it was the answer, but certainly it was a good attempt at the answer. And, and for me as well, being kind of you know, quite emotionally invested in big data discovery, it's a tool I use quite a lot. I, I'm, I'm quite keen for them to succeed. So I hope it does work. But I think like you said, I don't know if it is necessarily the answer. I don't know. Who knows really on that? I will, I will say that it is a product that probably uh, is going to be best consumed in the cloud. I mean, if you think if you think about everything that's required, um, you, you know, if you were to go and try to, if you were Oracle sales rep and you're mm. trying to sell um, Oracle uh, big data discovery and you're trying to sell that to a customer that doesn't even have Hadoop yet, for mm. instance, it's a really tough, <laughs> tough sell, right? I mean, there's yeah. so many things that you have to invest in mm. to get that tool uh, off the ground and to get it in people's hands. It's not like, uh, mm. you know, Tableau, where all you need is an Excel spreadsheet. There's a lot that t that's required to get that tool st stood up and the data sets available. I think that the it's built for the cloud, uh, mm. first off, because if it's truly easy to provision all of the services that are required to get uh, content into big data discovery, and if they are truly all connected such that I can simply ingest data into Event Hub, build build some some uh, you know reasonably uh, scalable solutions and data pipeline data flows and, mm -hmm. and data flow ml get that data into um, Hadoop what uh, at least to, to the Hadoop that's in the Oracle cloud and then if suddenly you know, you know using all those tools uh, big data discovery becomes something that's much much easier for somebody to get their hands on it mm -hmm. was always difficult to even explore or explore or demo the product because there's so much that was required before you could even get to that you know yeah, what I mean? interesting yeah i mean I th I, anyway so so i mean certainly it was good to see that at the end of the demo really and it's actually quite a nice um segue into the, the second topic we're going to talk about which was it which was is is data storytelling really um and of course, data storytelling, just to kind of to set the scene here, is, is the idea that, um, that in fact, actually Stephen Few, uh, who we call over here the kind of Jeremy Corbyn of, uh, of kind of, uh, of, of analytics, I think probably Bernie Sanders in, uh, in, in the States, he, he kind of said, uh, you know, numbers have an important story to tell. They rely on you to give them a clear and convincing voice. And there's a whole kind of movement, Stuart, which I mean, you know a lot about, really, which is to say you can get your story across better and you can convince people and have more influence if you tell a story about the data that you're kind of presenting and I know Stuart you uh, did a session uh, at Open World I think with Mike Darren on on data story well basically big data sorry DVD wasn't it and uh, and yeah. uh, data storytelling tell us about what that was and what was the kind of the thinking behind it and what did you sort of what did you demonstrate and talk about in that session yeah, it was a it was a great session at Open World. It's it's uh, you know they they quit letting people into it. It was it was standing room only, and that's and that's I think probably as much uh, comment about Mike Duran himself, but also or a very small room, uh, <laughs> or a very small room. <laughs> Thanks for that, Mark. Yeah. Um, or or the the uh, it could be about the date uh, Oracle's data visualization desktop tool or data visualization strategy in general, or it could have been the storytelling element. I, I I like to think that it's the storytelling element, which is really what we wanted to talk about. Which is, you know, I listened to a podcast uh, not long ago. Uh, it's from Freakonomics. If if maybe we could put this in the show notes, but it was about storytelling. And it had some of the data uh, around telling a story versus not telling a story. And Mike had gotten me hooked on this concept when we started discussing uh, this presentation about, you know, some research that he had done around, you know, the storytelling paradigm versus the non-storytelling paradigm. And, and the trance-like state that people tend to go into when they think they're being told a story hmm. versus just being presented with facts uh, which is sort of uh, which could could be seen sort of uh, nefariously if if you wanted to, but it's the idea that if you you know just simple reports or dashboards are not enough. You've got to layer them with context. I mean, they almost need context dripping dripping from from all of these data sets uh, from the very onset. 
And so what we did, what Mike demonstrated um, very well in the presentation was how easy it was to take data sets, bring it into the tool, and then layer it with context such that mm. we're used to having dashboards, you know, in sort of the, the BI, traditional BI, we have dashboards that have zero context. It's just data being pulled in and maybe the user can assign a filter, but beyond that, there's no context. And what Mike demonstrated was, yeah, bring the data into the tool, but we're not always building just a, you know, a reusable dashboard that can be reused uh, for the next year without any context. It's more, it was more about actually layering in context and telling story, telling a story all from within the tool. And I think that the the feedback we got from from folks around both the capabilities of Oracle's new tool, but also mm -hmm. that sort of mindset of what it means to tell the story versus not tell a story, was 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 that feedback was great, and it, and, it, and it I think it pointed to the fact that what we do with data today is so different. It is, yeah, and I think certainly there's an, more of an awareness now from people about stories being told with data. People are used to kind of uh, I suppose uh, infographics, for example, you know, on, on newspapers and, and so forth. And I think, you know, it's people, people I mean, election in the US kind of uh, notwithstanding, you know, the, the idea that data cells, data can tell a story and uh, and so on is, is, is kind of, you know, obviously accepted now. Um, within, I suppose, within the kind of the Oracle tooling itself, what features were there within there that you thought were, were useful and interesting? And well, what does it mean as a developer to develop um, uh, using this kind of idea of data storytelling compared to, say, before? Yeah. So first off, uh, we were using the the old ver. I say mm. the old version. I guess you'd call 1.0 of mm. DB Desktop. And now 2.0 has has been out since then. It's got a lots of new features. So uh, you know, forgive me if I don't hit off all the new features. But it was really the a couple of things we talked about. First is the concept of an insight, right? Mm. So you could go and do some discovery, and sort of bookmark that. And bookmark sort of cheapens it in my mind, but it gives you all of the context mm -hmm. uh, for which you you came to a certain data, data set. So just linking together insights in a storytelling mode, which mm -hmm. the tool has, is one thing. But Mike also demonstrated an infographic built completely within the tool. And this was this was fascinating mm -hmm. when I the first time I saw it, which mm -hmm. was it's got it's got layers like you think of in a graphic design uh, tool, so you can bring the data sets in sort of as a foundation or a backdrop, and then you can start editing or developing mm. layers of content on top of it, such that you could even build an infographic that you know it's got all of that context, but but mm. with with uh, up to date data points. So I think that the that the tool's capability of you know, in some ways, turning our back on the old world of of trying to build reusable dashboards, mm. and instead trying to tell, you know, using data, uh, what's truly and you know what we're truly trying to express today, or what's in our heart, or what we really want to get across. Mm. Sometimes a reusable dashboard is not the way to do that, and I think the rise of infographics, the rise of of different approaches to storytelling, mm. you know. For instance, you know, we use DV Desktop uh, mm. at Red Pill Analytics, and and you know, when we do our quarterly meetings. They're all done from within, mm. from within the tool, right? Mm. So, I, I mean, the capabilities of of being able to truly tell a story with one tool is mm. pretty fascinating, and I think that we're going to see a lot more in this area from all the vendors. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's kind of um, it's what's appropriate for the for, for the circumstances. So if you if you had a dashboard of, of GL data, then then someone kind of weaving a story about the GL transactions and, and so on and so forth, and how many invoices are outstanding. That in in a way, that's not what it's about really. But going back to the idea of, I think mean, it would be it would get a bit tiring, wouldn't it? You know, after a while, someone gets a guitar out and starts kind of uh, you know going through <laughs> going through the story of the kind of GL transactions. But going back to the idea of the base idea behind a data scientist and so. On, that you are you're finding something out interesting and then telling the story about it packaging it up and so on um is good and i i used that approach um in the latest article i did for, for oracle magazine which was on yeah it was um, a great article by yeah the way. yeah yeah so it, it's kind of um you know telling the story of the data it was my strava data i was getting in cycling data and so on and, and 
telling the story of how I was using the data to try and sort of like to try and you know change some kind of behavior and so on there but presenting it in you know in DV desktop terms in terms of insights and, and, and presentations and so on you can see the value in that really um, I think that you know the features in the version that you use DV, DVD1 are fairly thin for sort of data storytelling I think they are agree they are taking they're taking snapshots they are presenting it in a sequence and so on certainly having have you played around with DV desktop 2 at all since it's been out I know there's some it's quite absolutely tell it give us again so give us a bit of a kind of a, a your a, a, an overview and your thoughts on dv desktop 2 from oracle yeah knowing that t- time is short i'm going to hit two real key mm. points one is data wrangling uh, obviously i mean um which just goes to you know there's so many different places that you can process mm. data now that sometimes it's confusing as to as to where to do it but truly if you've got data sets that you're bringing in and, and you're you're a self-service and you need to curate that data i hate to use that word because it's mm. got it's sort of loaded but you need to process the data wrangle the data so to speak and i think the idea that not all um, data processing needs to exist in a layer outside of the of the analytics tool is a good thing. Uh, I think the idea that that someone sitting down trying to solve trying to solve uh, a problem that they have today, waiting for somebody to build some data processing, mm. is just uh, is is mis- misguided. So I think putting some basic data processing capabilities in the tool was big. I think also the idea that there, well, I'll make uh, all the new sources and targets was was very very valuable as well. Isn't that isn't that then, isn't that a revelation? I mean, how long have we waited for, for Oracle to support X Y Z sort of source? And now yeah, it's coming I mean, out. It's, it's coming out. You know, every every new every free, every quarter. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy to see all the sources and targets that. You know, we used to, as Oracle partners, you know, I know mm. we've both worked for different Oracle partners over the years. We used to, you know, anytime it was sort of like a, um, you know, talking about anything other than the Oracle database was mm. sometimes could be judged uh, um, as misguided. Mm. So uh, the fact that Oracle's really gotten on board with the idea that not all data sits in an Oracle database um, is is a revelation. And the fact that all of those sources and targets and and, and the last point I really want to make about the new mm. tool and something that you know, I've read up on, I have not uh, tested, is the the new sort of SDK of, of writing and developing your own mm. uh, building your own visualizations yeah uh, and, and that could be you know I mean we've all you know with all sorts of different enterprise BI tools we've tried to hack to hmm. to bring in visualizations that aren't there now there's actually a supported process for for writing apis and I think that 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 could be truly you know bring your bring your own sort of JavaScript libraries and and plug them into the tool that could be game changing. Interesting, interesting. And uh, yeah, certainly. I mean, it does beg the question, though, about um, to what extent, uh, with the data wrangling in there, with the visualization and so on, to what extent um, it's going to uh, eat into the sales of big data discovery or, or, or certainly be a, a, a sufficient sort of substitute. And something I found, again, with, with looking at some of the data coming in from, I was bringing in from home and so on, was I tended in the end to sort of veer towards kind of uh, DVD in, in a way. And it, Agreed. it was enough, really. And, and certainly it's... The problem, I think, with big data discovery is it's fantastic at kind of uh, bringing data in and wrangling it and, and kind of enriching it and so on. But then as a tool to present that data out to, to yourself or to users, it's a bit obtuse in how it works sometimes. And and, it, and given that DVD is, 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 I presume, quite a lot cheaper, really, and easily downloadable, installable, you do have to wonder if you were a, a PM, really, for, for, for BDD, big data discovery. Um, you know, how much of a threat, you know, uh, DVD would be really. It's, it's an interesting thing. I don't know. What do you think? Well, that's why that's why I feel like, uh, you know, I stand by my former comment, which mm. was D- DVD is a product built for the cloud. I think mm. the idea that, that you're going to have to stand up all these things mm. uh, just to even, you know, get started with it. Mm. DV desktop, it's so easy to get started. I mean, mm. you don't have your data set in a proper place and then just get a feed of it. Mm. I think the idea behind uh, big data discovery is you've got to have some really complex things built to be able to use it. And that's why it probably makes sense for it to be powering the analytics in their cloud, or at least in the big data side of their cloud. Yeah. Whereas yeah. DB Desktop is, is you know, the mashup capabilities. I can connect to Redshift, which is an Amazon cloud. I can mm. connect to uh, a, a, an Excel document and also my Oracle database for me business, all from my desktop. 
something that we would have <laughs> fought yes. against uh, five yeah. to seven years ago as yeah. just being uh, as being crazy, right, Mark? Yeah, I mean, uh, ironically, the interesting thing I've seen with uh, I've been uh, look I've been I've sat through a couple of uh, Tableau things recently. And Tableau ten is out now, and the big thing about Tableau ten is support for Linux as a as a, as a kind <laughs> of uh, as a, and they're bringing out a proper sort of a server version, and and they're going the opposite direction, and and they are you know they're looking at uh, making it run the moment to to run tableau um you've really got to use the kind of have the desktop tool as well but they're looking to yeah. make it so that it runs entirely kind of in the cloud they're adding in stuff around governance things like um, certified data sources and so on there and interestingly um they're adding a data wrangling feature in as well but they're adding it in they're making it a separate product because in their view they're quite different kind of like you know use cases and so on uh, so right. in their case, they're adding it in as a separate product, which is also interesting because there's a whole kind of, I suppose, ecosystem around Tableau of data prep tools. And actually, the hot new sort of tool in that market, um, which is um, Paxato, I think, um, they, they're like the Tableau of data prep. So there's a lot, I suppose there's a lot of, of, of cross-fertilization, trying out different ideas and so on. But isn't it good to be working in the Oracle space to have a, a BI tool that's easy to install and supports your data sources and looks nice? So that, that, that for me is not a bad thing, really. Nice to you, Mark. Exactly. So Stuart, well, it's been obviously, as usual, fantastic speaking to you. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, at some point again, come back and join us. It's really good. I'll see you. Absolutely. Hopefully, uh, I look forward to, uh, to my next one. Yeah, hopefully I'll see you uh, at BWA in uh, <clears throat> Excuse yeah. me, in, uh, in January. Other than that, um, thank you very much. Uh, take care and see you soon. All right. Cheers, Mark. <laughs>